0: Okay. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, welcome to the Institute of Americas. Um, it's a great pleasure to welcome uh, Dr. Travis Stack from the uh, uh, University of Aberdeen. Uh, thank you very much for being the track down. Who's uh, really going to share with us some uh, ongoing research from uh, Mexico, from the state of Michoacán, uh, where Travis is uh, in charge of a uh, major uh, research project uh, funded by the ESRC, uh, looking at how human rights activists and human rights defending in practice uh, is, is taking place in, 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 in a state of of uh, of extensive violence and institutional fragility is, is the initial was one of the initial kind of um, kind of take on, on, on the on the context of, of, of Michel Khan. So uh, thank you very much Robert, for, for taking time and looking forward to uh, hear your preliminary findings and, and your general
1: perspective on, on the project that has developed to date. Thanks. Thank you uh, very much for the invitation. Um, the, the, as you can see, we're like, uh, halfway through, not even halfway through this project in the terms of changing even between when I proposed the original title and what the title has now become. It, it's a team project, so here's a list of the, um, of, of the other team members um, including uh, Pilar Domico, who is sitting over here, who's uh, co-investigator on the project and um, the research objectives well the, um, the latest version is uh, we have to first of all to understand the dynamics that sustain uh, multiple injustices in regions affected by crime-related violence and institutional fragility um, but then also secondly to evaluate the reach of the reach of diverse pro-justice initiatives as the term we're currently using, uh, in such a region through comparison across zones. And of course, um, you know, I'm afraid this is in general terms, because we're hoping that the study um, will be of uh, interest to uh, other parts of the world and uh, other such regions. Uh, there are relatively few studies of this kind, at least I've been able to count that the interested to in know, Uh, I mentioned uh, one scholar working in southern Italy, Uh, there's Jenny Pierce, who some of you will know in Colombia, has done some very relevant work, and then uh, a little bit also in southeastern Europe that we've encountered. Uh, Again, we do see this as relevant for other regions in which there's violence and and state capture, even like using one slide to the other, the terms shift slightly, (laughs) which is kind of where we're at. Even in in constitutional democracies such as Mexico, uh, which I guess most of you know is uh, is uh, an OECD member and it has a 200 year tradition of some form of constitutional democracy, the emphasis being on form, um, a signatory to uh, all uh, major uh, or perhaps all human rights and international human rights treaties, but which sees persistent injustice. So even those, even with electoral alternation since 2000, I think that's the word. Time term in English, but uh, I call it alternation of uh, the multi-electoral. Since two thousand, after seventy-one year monopoly by the Revolutionary Institutional Party, uh, there's uh, deep frustration with the sameness of the three main parties in office and the mining trust. Persistent corruption and lack of transparency in terms of f- uh, and extensive very poorly in global indices. Uh, there are pioneering social programs, important uh, social programs. Um, targeting the poorest, including rural and informal sectors, but deep inequality uh, still persists. And uh, um, persistent high-impact crime also, especially since the 2007 uh, war on drugs was declared, uh, including homicide, kidnapping, people trafficking, extortion, and so on. And the persistence of strategic policy, uh, despite this evidence failure, so it just seems like uh, more and more of the same. Um, and the study focuses on the state of Michoacán uh, in west central Mexico, uh, a state that's historically poor. Um, despite, you know, it's uh, a long uh, something of a history of investment in the state. It's not, it's not that the Mexican government is absent from the state, uh, particularly under the Cardenas dynasty and um, father and son, President Basil Cardenas, uh from from Michoacán. Uh, was present back in the 1930s and then his son got state governor in the 80s and remains a relevant figure. Um, but nevertheless, uh, there's this, you know, so this is a, a, a human development index uh, featuring here in Chocan, uh, way down there, uh, just short of Jack um, and Haka uh, And there's, has seen, um, well, a recent growth in extractive industries, such yeah, as, Agro industry is precisely extractive, but and also and certainly mining uh, in the coastal regions with an expanding port uh, of, of Lazo uh but often little control over uh, the exploitation of both natural resources as well as of labor. And so, uh, this is again the, the coastal region where there's, there's mining, uh, the agro industry, there's uh, something in the history of. Uh, agro-industry of, of lemons and so on in this uh, region uh, uh, this is a, uh, a very hot and uh, dusty plain as the, the term as the name terra caliente would suggest um, but with some uh, mega project uh, inve- irrigation mega projects from uh, previous decades facilitated uh, facilities agro-industry this is um, either the or one of the main avocado producing regions uh, in, in the world uh, this uh, hilly hilly area leading up to this more mountainous area, where there's important forestry, um, and then in the northern part of the state, recently there's been a, a this, well, there's been some uh, uh, tradition of strawberry uh, uh, cultivation since the uh, 1970s, and more recently of other berries. Uh, there's been something of an explosion of activity. So, in fact, there's uh, quite significant, uh, again, like it's I'll extractive industries, uh, but often little control exploitation and this uh, electoral alternation. So basically, the state governorship goes in 2002 to the the, the centre left party, the PRD, which grew out of the uh, centre left uh, movement, uh, which um, at the time uh, was led by Guatemal uh in uh, in the 1980s. And then this, this party takes the state uh, governorship in 2002, uh, governing the state for uh, three uh, terms, uh, two and then with uh, AI a in between. But then um, there are also important pan families of so National Action Party, and the right party, uh, also from the state. So there's electoral alternation. There is electoral alternation. There's, there's real electoral competition, but still very weak uh, institutionalization and uh, the situation is complicated by the history of drug trafficking uh, from uh, the coastal highland area, again the same area that was mining as also for decades in an area where marijuana was grown and then more recently other uh, crops, um, which uh, itself is complicated especially since it's around about 2000 by cartel formation, so you know one thing is just... Um, the growing, and, and the other thing is the uh, formation of serious cartels, um, where um, <laughs> they, it tends to kind of this a kind of dynamic, which is maybe slightly distinctive to the state, where locals would do business with, with outsider cartels, such as, for example, the CETAs uh, in the 2000s, but then allowing their rivals to claim that they're defending the state uh, from these kind of supposedly outsider cartels, in the form, for example, the, of two thousand and seven, the so-called Familia Michoacana, and the term again, it, it kind of evokes this claim in the way that they're somehow, you know, we're the real Michoacan people, uh, defending from these intruders, and uh, this this cartel formation for the weekend institutions. And to give an example, between two thousand and twelve and two thousand and fourteen, the Knights Templar cartel, which basically succeeds the uh, Familia Michoacana is able to take over mining, much, much mining activity the uh, agro-industry in many parts of the state, uh, and also the port itself of Las Olcarnas, uh, together with politically uh, the state governments, uh, then on the PRI, as well as most local governments across the state, which uh, leads to uh, a, a large um, uprising or rebellion uh, by uh, self-defense, so-called self-defense groups across—I said 22 municipalities. That's a—that's a guess. Funded or led and uh, funded and often led by large growers, such as lemon growers, for example, um, tired of extortion. So, particularly the the focus of I'm sorry, extortion, in a Spanish way, but um, uh, particularly associated um, uh, with with the extortion by the the Knights Templar cartel, um, but also including traffickers uh, who um, either resisted the cartel or were breaking from it. Um, and you know this is the this is state, uh, and these red uh, asterisks are uh, the presence of uh, out-of-defensive groups in 2013-2014, uh, so it gives you a, a sense of the extent of these the groups, which, which are very diverse but do coordinate uh, at a regional level. Uh, There's an image of some of the the characters uh, who led the group. Um, And um, so as a result of this, so the federal government in January 2014 intervenes in the state, takes over um, security within the state uh, with a team uh, led by uh, this guy who's basically the president, man uh, from Mexico State, as the president is, Uh, comes in and uh, well of course you can maybe recognise one or two of these faces from the previous uh, slide Um, basically creates a a police force incorporates the outer defences and the municipal police or what's left of them into a state police force under the state prosecutor and the security chief the director there's some attempt by this federal commission to rein in corruption like some tenders, government tenders are cancelled uh, there's also sporadic uh, social investments in some of the affected municipalities. although well, this tends to be short-lived. And then the Security and Justice Forum that I'm going to mention uh, in a moment, uh, which is set up in, in, ten, in, um, you know, in seven municipalities, uh, which are fora in which, let's say, establishment figures, like, let's say, the directors of the chambers of commerce, um, typically the bishop, and uh, the, the presence of some of the professional associations uh, sit around the table with the full range of security agencies, um, and but although for the most part uh, are reduced to simply listening to to the speeches given by the the security uh, officers. High impact crime reduces in the state in 2015. Uh, after the Alpha defensive movement and the federal intervention, but effectively in returns twenty sixteen and seventeen um, as rival cartels make inroads, competing for drug trafficking and drug retail. So drug retail has become uh, drug consumption is is, is is on the rise, and therefore, and there's more and more interest in the retail market as well as again extortion, money laundering, um, and uh, in terms of like what government is doing. Um, there, at least, um, although it's not the focus of the project, um, we do keep something of an eye on what state and federal government is up to. Um, and there appear to be relatively few initiatives beyond, uh, particularly in in, in, strategy, in strategic policy, beyond boosting the police. Uh, sporadic social investment. I mentioned mega projects of sometimes unclear uh, benefits, uh, of which one example is in the recent investment in the port of Las Vegas while, you know, municipal governments are largely reactive. I mean, it they, they really doesn't go beyond simply reacting to particular situations. So, you know, as a general, the electoral, the electoral alternancy then kind of disrupts what you might call state capture, but the elected what? I mean, this is, this is a, a, my reading of um, the, the effect of electoral alternancy on the institutional, uh, institutional weaknesses. Um, and... Um, <laughs> This project, just to uh, warn you, is at a very preliminary stage. In fact, as you can see, we're still in the field phase. We're going to start proper analysis of the project in February, um, followed by a series of workshops. Uh, Over the summer and into next autumn, we'll be alongside the academic products um, elaborating and consulting on a range of policy or strategy documents before then concluding this time Uh, well, in fact, 2019 on academic publications and producing a database. So, you know, this is very preliminary. My zone, so, okay, so we have uh, six ethnographers uh, working in different zones of the state, um, plus uh, one, a seventh uh, researcher in situ who holds a PhD in law, and he's um, focusing on on the legislation uh, the political context of legislation, particularly for citizen participation uh, in the state, and the extent to which uh, this is actually taken up by some of the initiatives or movements which interest us. I'm one of the six ethnographers there, uh, so I, you know, I, I coordinate the project, but also um, I'm there uh, doing uh, uh, part of the field work in the provincial city of Samora, uh, which is in the northwestern corner of the state. This uh, is the state capital, Morelia. Um, in within this this more agricultural uh, region, again, it's, it's, it dominates uh, the the northeast corner of the state. Um, and uh, this is an image of city, and you know, obviously, the churches uh, stick out. And in fact, um, you know, this was well, it was a Spanish town founded beside it. an indigenous uh, city, as is, is, uh, was often the case, um, but also one in which the Catholic diocese retained considerable power into the 20th century, uh, resisting uh, some of the measures of the post-revolutionary regime, and perhaps not coincidentally uh, also saw one of the first opposition mayors to be elected in 1983 from the Conservative slash Liberal National Action Party. And the Valley of Samora, since the 70s, was already an important site for agro-industry, particularly in strawberry cultivation. And as I mentioned already, there's been a recent expansion of berries across that valley and the adjacent valleys. And from around 2006-ish, um, these this process of cartel formation I mentioned uh, really kicks in. Um, although the cartel divides in 2014, uh, even though that's, I mean, I don't want to go into all the details, but there's there's no there's little um, outer the defense um, movement in the the city itself. Uh, but nevertheless, the cartel, the cartel fragments, um, creating two or three uh, different groups um, who compete for drug trafficking, retail, again, extortion, laundering uh, in the city. And uh, the regional context is that it's a, a market town for effectively market town for the northwest part of the state. It's also on the route from southern Michoacan. Um, and uh, so basically you can see the, the roads, this road particularly coming up from the southern part of the state, uh, makes it significant for narcotic trafficking as, uh, as well as other activities. And then the fact it's near, this is the, uh, just, the I just, no, I think. Yeah, this is the highway uh, that goes from Guadalajara to Mexico City, so San Juan is near that highway, therefore, this is also a strategic point. And, and, and it's also uh, near to the, the metropolis of Guadalajara, it's the capital of the neighboring city, Jalisco, uh, which is only two hours' uh, two drive away. Now, um, the first objective, then, is to try and understand these dynamics to sustain multiple justice in regions affected by the economy, et cetera, et cetera. So effectively, I'm going to set up some of the cycles of injustice, I would put it, uh, in, in the city. Um, first, the municipal power uh, is disputed between uh, a number of groups that effectively traffic influence and electoral support. Um, lobbying for sporadic projects, perhaps, in this case, uh, uh, a drinking water project, agua potable, in the, uh, well, there are three municipalities that make up uh, the area of Zamora. Um, With compliant media, that is, the media, for the most part, um, simply report what ex-functionary or elected official has to say. So in this case, the municipal president comes out to announce the opening of this this drinking water project. Uh, the media show up, take the photo, print whatever it has to say. Um, and in fact, behind these projects is typically uh, all sorts of like, rather unseemly uh, influence trading. again. Uh, this one was a federal deputy, uh, quite an uh, important federal deputy, uh, had, uh, had secured funding for a drinking water project uh, for uh, even though uh, the actual permission that the, 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 music, that, the that was in place was for an agriculture project for agriculture irrigation uh, so you know, it 's it's a very uh, kind of bizarre story um, and, and still still a ongoing one in fact, and it's yet to be seen whether anyone in fact gets any water to drink out of it um, and um, meanwhile, there's uh, illicit dealings that pro- tend to be protected in public works of that nature, um, as well as urbanization and, and agriculture, um, as with a, a range of extortion of So, the most obvious kind of extortion, you know, kind of extortion, for example, of street traders uh, is just kind of an aspect of this much broader uh, panorama of, of illicit dealings uh, being protected, which makes for chaotic urbanisation with human environmental damage um, while um, the agro industry, such as the berries that expand in the remaining lands, as the lands that haven't gone under the concrete uh, tends to occur with little control for example uh, there are wells being drilled left, right and centre even though officially no wells, uh, there's not supposed to be any wells drilled Um, and um, this and these like I mean, I've struggled, I struggle a little bit with the, the whole concept of criminal organization in these contexts, uh, because it kind of implies, you know, we're like criminals out there that can easily identify that are doing the criminal stuff. And, you know, so I tend to call them armed groups, at least that's you know, the least that we know about them, uh, who can kind of enter the fray then from, from around 20, 20, 2006, expanding the already existing uh, atmosphere of, kind of intimidation and illicit dealings. And, you know, it's just very random, it's just... Last week, I noticed that six people had been arrested just up the road, uh, and this arsenal supposedly been taken off. And, and you know, they're probably, they're probably already back in the streets. They may well already be back in the streets. I, I have no idea. But uh, so it's just a kind of entirely mundane uh, arrest, and it gives you a sense of, of the kind of arms that these groups possess. Um, meanwhile... Um, the state and federal dynamics, governments, the dynamics of state and federal governments are often similar to, at a municipal level, that is, the same kind of illicit dealings uh, are being uh, protected, the same kind of influence, trafficking, and so on, and are similarly media-oriented. Um, while security policy, as I've already mentioned, is reduced, seems to be largely reduced, <coughs> to boosting the police force, um, in order to combat these criminals who are supposedly out there, and that you know the police's task is to simply go and round up, um, while so-called citizen spaces um, or uh, civil society uh, is often captured by uh, either captured by government. Um, so in this case, this is the municipal development council with the municipal president chairing it. So. Um, or ignored uh, when it becomes uh, more independent or critical, um, while being kind of hemmed in by intimidation. Um, so, you know, people are somewhat wary of tracking on, trying on the wrong people's toes, um, and with little Subotan representation. So, particularly from the more marginal neighborhoods, uh, there's usually of any uh, representation on these bodies. Judicial channels, meanwhile, tend typically inspire little confidence, including in in, in in social movements who only rarely have actual recourse to the judicial channels. Uh, there's been a, a major reform of criminal justice as some of you will be aware, uh, countrywide in in the last uh, two three years, um, but you know, so far at least there's little little signs of, uh, for example, conviction rates improving while uh, the prisons themselves uh, are largely captured by the same criminal groups. So in fact, let's say in the case of these six individuals who were arrested last week, I mean, they'll be going into an environment uh, uh, um, controlled to a greater or lesser extent uh, by their own people. for so something a little more like a, a sabbatical. And then in the marginal neighbourhoods, which are a, a great number, um, these uh, these neighborhoods are typically captured by brokers or leaders, as they would call it in Spanish, in Mexican Spanish, uh, who, you know, with sporadic projects like bringing in occasional, uh, occasional um, uh, government departments to, I don't know, cut the trees, cut back the trees, uh, and manage to impede politicization uh, of uh, these neighborhoods, allowing, in addition for. Well, the way I would put it, the normalisation of the kinds of business in which life is uh, collateral. Uh, the obvious example is drug retail, uh, which uh, is allowed to proceed in, in these neighbourhoods, and uh, basically, you know, you go on the street corner, uh, you get a certain amount from in return for the drug, for these drug trades. But you know, if someone takes, uh, if someone takes objection to uh, who you're buying them from, then they just come along and shoot you, which is happening uh, on in, in a very regular basis. So the first, the first objective, then, is to um, diagnose, effectively, um, the, or identify these uh, cycles of injustice uh, in these environments, in, across these zones. Uh, the second objective is to, is to evaluate or comprehend the reach of these, what we call, pro-justice initiatives, uh, that is groups, organizations, movements, uh, they're trying to make headway in this region through a comparison across uh, these six uh, zones of the state uh, where we have ethnographers working. Um, and um, in the case of my own uh, zoning, again um, and again, you know, this is still we're still within in, during the, within the period of fieldwork. Uh, but when I say hopes of justice, we see little of hope. Uh, these are some of the process I, absor- I observe, which where you know, it's, it's difficult to see uh, much headway. Uh, pressure from civil society as it currently stands uh, is in these conditions hard to sustain and also difficult to maintain autonomy from government. So again, uh, government tends to either uh, move in on these, uh, on these spaces uh, to try and take over these organizations uh, or alternatively um, either to ignore them and then, uh, you know, it's very difficult to... And so to go back to the example of the, the, the drinking water project, which was originally supposed to be an agriculture irrigation project and in which the federal deputy intervened, uh, this particular group that we're seeing here, a group of environmentalists uh, who uh, were attempting to... Uh, who, well, first of all, caught wind of this project after it had been... Uh, kicked around for about a couple of years. First of all, we ended this when the, the, one of the, when the municipal council had approved uh, the, the project on the hands. At this point, they then tried to find in, to, to the to they then tried to find out the state of the play. This took them weeks because it turned out there were two different projects uh, with completely different names. One of them effectively, this is an agricultural creation project, XXX, and this is, and this other one, this is a drinking water project. There. You know, it's causing in, in, uh, inevitably a considerable confusion among the group, uh, and it's made it very difficult, for example, to establish whether, in fact, this project that the municipal council had approved had, in fact, uh, authorization for, from the, the um, from Semarnat, which is the, uh, the Ministry for, for the Environment. Um, because, you know, to begin with, they didn't know the project what the actual project title was supposed to be. Uh, and you know, these are, some of these are, are, uh, are themselves uh, researchers, uh, uh, local researchers. Um, so you know, this is uh, people who would normally expect to find these things out. So these are kind of conditions where actually from civil society uh, on itself uh, doesn't seem, is, is difficult to sustain and to make headway with. Where there are movements from marginal, from marginal neighborhoods uh, but these are easily captured by the same brokers that I mentioned uh, who combine, client- combine clientele relations of the traditional kind with media strategies as well as extortion and you know, this is a, a teacher in fact who, uh, who led uh, quite a large uh, movement of, of people looking to, s- to settle uh, lands um, putting pressure on uh, municipal governments and working with uh, a succession of um, mayors Uh, In return for votes, Um, and again, you know, with media appeal, extortion as well, because uh, cartel-related groups or some of these armed groups were also muscling in on this and attempting to extort uh, the prospective house owners. Until uh, in in March this past year, uh, something clearly went wrong. After you know, ten years of these these kind of negotiations, pressures, and this, and the next thing and the state government sent in police and demolished 220 houses uh, that had been built in the settlement. Uh, again, you know, this is an example of how uh, these movements from marginal neighbourhoods, again, uh, seem to make a little headway. And electoral opposition uh, itself, uh, obviously, as I mentioned, electoral alternacy in, in Mexico since 2000, and, um, in fact, in some areas since 1983, uh, but, you know, also often put, uh, Proves divisive, and of course this is elections year in Mexico. And then many of the movements I'm observing are going through this process, whereby the the different members are starting to think, well, you know, should we support a candidate? Should we not? Which candidates? And then, of course, some decide not to support candidates, and they won't have anything to do with the ones that do. And even the ones that do, then of course may support different candidates. And this becomes typically divisive. And in any case, so far made for failed to make for real policy alternatives, either at local level, state level, or indeed uh, at federal level. But, of course, uh, one tries to be positive. And uh, and what, actually, the focus of what I've been doing has been to look for more promising examples. And, you know, this is what I would characterize as a promising assemblage, um, just to use that word, uh, in that uh, during the eight months of field i have conducted this year that I've uh, been following quite carefully. that has kind of three, basically three kind of clusters or groupings of organizations. Um, one of them is a very elite project which was forged in the Security and Justice Forum that I mentioned, uh, one of a series across the state set up in the wake of the federal commission that intervened, um, which created this, uh, so this is an image of the, the Security and Justice Forum, as I mentioned, so this is basically the eminences of, of the city and directors of the chambers of commerce, professional associations, uh, the bishop, and so on, sitting around the table with the kinds of people you can see here from the, of the various federal agencies, state-level agencies, and so on, as well as the municipal president, including the army, navy, and so on. And um, with a focus on um, uh, w- w- who create, uh, who create then, um, and it, partly because this forum then turns into, you know, becomes very unsatisfying after kind of a year or so, the, the elites themselves find, you know, don't feel they're making progress, so they found uh, an observatory, um, w- which uh, high fee in the sense that uh, they invite uh, members, uh, uh, members from again across the broader elite in the city, for f- annual fees of around five hundred pounds. So this is like these are pretty, uh, pretty expensive. Uh, it's, it's a very exclusive. It's a, it's a very exclusive uh, association, but you know the resource allows them then to hire a um, an extremely well qualified um, researcher with a PhD in law and a very uh, capable person. Uh, who will then work flat out, basically on a daily basis, um, for example, chasing up um, um, records of um, public work projects in the municipality. Uh, and you know, when the municipality comes back with by saying, "Well, you know, we don't have information," she'll put in a, an appeal uh, against this. And you know, basically, she knows how to work the uh, system. Um, and could to some extent run ring, ring rings around uh, some of the municipal officials. Uh, so, you know, this is where like, these kind of resources uh, start to bite. Working in addition with two national CSOs, uh, one focused on uh, municipal transparency and the other focused on the transparency of the, in the prosecutor's uh, statistics um, to, to make some headway. So, I mean, this is a, a very detailed. Uh, account of the structure of the the mesa, the, the forum itself, and the observatory. You know, I'll say this bit's got it, it up in Spanish, um, and uh, how it justifies itself, and so on. But just to go through this this uh, very briefly. Um, here, what I identify as a particular injustice uh, being addressed is that citizens lacking the information to know what government is doing, including how funds are spent. So basically, transparency. Uh, which of course affects uh, political rights as well as reproducing uh, widespread impunity and starving social programs of funds because of some of the acts of corruption that they've been able to identify. But you know it's slow progress. Uh, so you know so far, so uh, this was uh, set up about uh, a year and a half ago. So like in many so very early days, and they were difficult to evaluate. Uh, as far, so far, what they've been doing is reviewing transparency portals. Every municipal government uh, is supposed to set up a transparency portal, and there's a law that stipulates what information municipal government should be putting on this transparency portal, how often it should be updated, etc. So uh, the initial exercise of the observatory has been simply to check every municipal portal to see whether or not it has information uh, matched that, uh, that the law stipulates working and using using the guidelines of this national uh, civil society organization um, and in a way that then allows the National Association to plot where, in this case, is, or the other municipal governments that they've uh, reviewed on a national scale of uh, basically how we rank with regards to the Transparency Portal. So, you know, this is the first step. How far does it get you? Well, not very far because, uh, you know, they haven't even been able to go into the content of these particular documents. All they're ascertaining is whether, in fact, the documents have been put up there in the first place, let, let, let alone actually going in and investigating the content of the documents to look for signs of irregularity. But it's a step, um, the forum itself allows, does allow the elites at least to make calls on security agencies, although so far it's been a response and then uh, with the, uh, the Observatory's other initiative, which is to work with the prosecutor's figures for high-impact crimes, um, the prosecutor has agreed to sit down with the Observatory in advance of the Security and Justice Forum meetings to harmonise his crime statistics with the, Observatory, with the criteria for the Observatory which then, uh, in principle, allows the National Citizen Observatory, which is a national CSO, the other national CSO they're working with, to then analyze the statistics and measure them against our national averages and so on. Okay? So these are small uh, but nevertheless significant uh, steps that uh, this very new uh, initiative in Samoa is achieving. Of course, it's still well, I still need to investigate is the use of these transparency portals. So, you know, what organizations are actually using this information to what effect? As, and the same with the crime statistics. The second kind of cluster uh, of organizations uh, that within this more promising assemblage is a collective of diverse group, groups uh, of uh, what I would describe as sub-employed professionals. It sounds a little bit. But I mean, what I mean is people who are typical university graduates, you know, have got often degrees from local universities, but either maybe don't have jobs or uh, don't have jobs that take up much of that, so basically a sub employed, which, you know, means, of course, they have very different to the elite groups, they have very little resources. And yet, on the other hand, they have a bit more time um, and energy, and uh, who they, these groups decide as. Um, but develop this, this, um, apply this methodology of of assembly, which is is something that uh, seemingly activists across Mexico and and globally, I think, have been developing recent years, uh, certain decision-making processes, um, quite sophisticated decision-making processes to avoid um, certain individuals or groups within organisations taking over those organisations, and and also allowing them to coordinate, in this case, as a collective of diverse groups without any one group, again, uh, simply monopolizing the show. Um, with a range of focus going from environmental services to uh, neighborhood politicization. So for example, these are, this is one of the groups that make up the collective. These are very small groups, you know, typically two, three, four, five individuals, uh, going into one of the more marginal neighborhoods and sitting down and then setting up a kind of cell uh, within that neighborhood then to start addressing uh, local issues um, and again, there's a more detailed uh, account of the structure and justification and, and etc. of this this collective. Um, but uh, the rate of injustices then include political marginalization of neighborhoods and the consequent marginalization of urban services. Uh, and, and then also among the, the environmentalist groups, uh, they are addressing. Uh, some of the damage from, uh, let's say, lack of uh, recycling, um, and uh, with the reach of, well, again, you know, this is very new. This is a very new, uh, there's a very new collective that was really on, only formed in March uh, of this year, uh, which again, you know, again, makes it uh, difficult to investigate. Um, but you know, working in two marginal neighbourhoods so far, introducing a recycling program in conjunction with the, the ecological group. Uh, They work alongside funding a range range of of very local level activities, such as, let's say, a football team. And with the plan to then go on to link the two neighborhoods and others into a kind of political network across the city to achieve some kind of alternative representation. So that's the plan. Again, uh, you know, I need to, uh, when I return next month, uh, to, to see like what headway has what actually been made in that regard and whether this becomes just more than funding the local football team um, and uh, whether therefore what the, the actual reach of it is. And then the third assemblage uh, is around the, the Catholic Church, uh, which as I mentioned is a very relevant actor in these contexts, uh, specifically the diocesan social work team um, is has been concerned with uh, response to the The violence. So, I mean, although the first of these uh, groupings, uh, that is the Elite Project, is certainly concerned with issues of violence, but more often than not, as a a statistic, uh, you know, they're worried about the the, the levels of homicide being reported. Uh, The church team, I would say, is the most conscious of the actual, what you might say, human face of violence, that is, actually uh, accompanying, to use their term, the victims of violence. and um, again, there's, I'd say, a, 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 a greater detail here that I'm just going to have to, to skim over. Um, but um, the, in, in terms of the injustices being addressed, well, there's obviously the murder, ongoing murder, and, and abductions going unpunished, even unnoticed uh, in, in some cases. Uh, and that's continuing, because it just doesn't become enough of an issue. Um, and uh, in terms of the reach of their attempts, the pastoral attempts, well... They, they're so far only really accompanying a, a very limited number of victims, and only in two towns, really in two towns of the diocese. Uh, while their project to register, to create a parish registry for violent, mur- for well, violent murders, I guess, oh, I mean murder firing, uh, of murders and abductions, is uh, is still that, is still a project. Um, so again, you know, the reach uh, is a limited one so far, um, and of course, you know, you need to to trace uh, whether they managed to expand this process of, of giving uh, therapy to victims and uh, achieving this register. So um, j- just very briefly, um, to make one point, I mean, uh, the, these three clusters that I've identified, these three groupings that I've been following over the course of the year, uh, there are all sorts of links between these, um, but they don't form a single block uh, at any point. Uh, the links, therefore, uh, are contingent, sometimes ephemeral, between them. There are various moments in which they've, they've uh, come together in weird and wonderful ways. Uh, but there are also many contradictions, even even within each of these three groupings. Uh, contradictions of elites, so as contradictions of interests. Sorry, uh, let's say the elites, uh, as opposed to the suburb white professionals, linked in turn to marginal neighbourhoods, with very different sets of interests, strategies. On the one hand, tensions, let's say, in the collective between those who pursue lobbying, or uh, political lobbying as well as legal action, as well as those who uh, prefer these neighborhood projects and periodically produce disputes, and even beliefs of some of these groups declaring themselves atheists as opposed to the Catholics in their midst. Um, And there are also some limits that come from these contradictions, including the fact, of course, they produce ruptures, and and constantly these groups are fragmenting and and, uh, reassembling themselves. And yet, there are also certain synergies. So, uh, for example, the observatory, this very elite project, advances in the institutional transparency, may at some point benefit, let's say, the groups in the collective uh, or the environmentalists uh, when they require transparency in order to advance with their projects. While the collective uh, is much less elite, uh, initiative could help the, the Security and Justice Forum. Open up to some of the more marginal sectors, that is to become uh, slightly less elitist. Uh, while again, the diocesan team uh, brings in, you might call this, this human face, or their the more therapeutic methodologies. Um, and in fact, they're curiously this uh, atheist group who's working in this marginal neighborhood have actually adopted um, some of the more therapeutic methodologies of the diocesan team uh, via a link between these. Um, has uh, developed in previous years. So these are examples of the kind of synergies that you get despite these contradictions. Plus also the lack of coordination means that these groupings are less visible, which of course can be a disadvantage, but can also be an advantage in these very difficult contexts. Uh, and uh, I mean, this is perhaps still quite vague, but you know, it seems to me that it opens up public spaces, which because they're more fluid, are also harder for governments or indeed criminal organisations to capture so this is, the, uh, in, uh, in, well, uh, the, uh, a very brief um, summary, then, of my own findings in Zamora in, in response to these, to these two objectives, the dynamics of sustainable justices. Uh, you get this very stable dynamic of electoral competition, hiding the illicit dealings while neutralizing certain spaces, evaluating the reach of these diverse pro-justice initiatives in such a way through comparison, Well, there's this what identifies an assemblage, uh, that is, uh, well, of the elite transparency project, <coughs> non-elite collective and and team, which shows some potential to make an advance, to make advance, although this is fragile. Now, what I'm not going to get onto, of course, is, is the other five zones of the project, partly again because we haven't yet completed the field work, uh, but also because I'm uh, out of time. Uh, so all of this is flipped through. Uh, some of the sites. So one of them is the state capital of More- Morelia, where there's some well, very well-connected civil society organisations uh, with statewide pretensions, that is, are interested in, in, in operating beyond the state capital, uh, although uh, this often proved uh, difficult. Uh, there are two rural municipalities. We also have ethnographers uh, with um, where which were the scenes of successful outdoor defense movements. Um, in 2013 2014, linked to uh, a series of councils uh, which provide some oversight over municipal government. So that's uh, in these two regions one of them, Chiniquila, towards the coast. This is obviously a, an auto Defensa uh, group. And then the other, Tancitero, where, where Alex uh, has also been doing uh, research, in avocado going municipality, uh, where uh, there's also been a, a quite a complex series of. Initiatives including out the defensive groups in coordination also with Jesuit missionaries uh, working in this area, as well as the Avocado girls themselves with their own forms of organization. Uh, Lazo Cardenas is this, this, the port and uh, city of Michoacan. Uh, uh, this is like a phrase that one of the interviewees used first class port, fifth class city. And there, you know, there's well, there's a number of, of questions of interest to us. Um, <laughs> Um, but again, you know which i are going to go into. Uh, and in fact, there's also the Tierra Caliente region, which I haven't uh, included here, which uh, again our fifth ethnographer is, is being studied. So um, that's again the, the research objectives. There's a, a series of, you know, a series of, of slides again. That, you know, I won't be to show. Uh, thinking about some of the distribution of the injustices to begin with. That actually starting to classify uh, the different issues that these various movements are identifying. Uh, to enable some kind of comparison uh, across the state between these, these different regions, these different zones. Um, some kind of um, initial evaluation of how, for example, we get some of these well-connected resource elite groups, uh, at least in Zamora in and in the state capital, Morelia, alongside these much less elite um, protest initiatives, working in assemblage with others. Again, I'm just kind of skimming through this. Uh, it's only in the state capital, is an obs- observation, where there are re- initiatives which di- respond directly to acts of violence, Right, so particularly collectives uh, who are addressing the issue of abductions of, of disappeared people. It's really only in the state capital that you find uh, organisations doing this, uh, as well as making legislative proposals. Again, this is not something you find outside there. Um, the, the grower-funded health the defence uprising produces... Uh, it seems at first sight uh, a kind of opening. So a lot of these self-defence groups go very badly wrong, uh, and you know in some cases they can also be very conservative in their approach. As I was saying earlier on, where you know they just basically justify themselves in terms of well you know uh, our aim is to prevent the cartel from reforming, uh, and that's it. So it's it basically a kind of return to the status quo ante. But nevertheless, it does seem to produce a kind of rupture or environment, or a rupture or opening in which you get significant local government, a kind of experimentation in local government uh, that might have interesting results that you don't get in the case of Samoa, for example. And then, again, the case of the poor, I won't go into. And, you know, I've, I've, what I've tried to do is to turn this into more generalizable findings that so might be applied to... Uh, to regions uh, elsewhere in Mexico, or indeed in Latin America or in other regions of the world. Um, such as, again, in relation to these uh, well con- relatively well-connected resource groups uh, in cities, and not only groups of churches also, and, and well, I haven't even mentioned the teachers, the dissident teachers' union, but these are important institutional actors uh, within these contexts, uh, as well as, again, this, uh, this uh, self-defense rebellions. And, well, there's a theoretical... I uh, thought, like, well, if, if as it's so often, uh, civil society is given as the answer to all of these kind of nails, ailments, Building uh, <coughs> civil society is the answer to the misrule of law, well, you know, you can turn it around and say, well, if civil society is understood as a builder of the just state, interrupting cycles of injustice, then what does civil society look like? Um, and the answer, my answer is, well, probably not like civil society. That is, not like civil society as it's commonly imagined. Instead, you know, these very contingent and contradictory assemblages of the kind that I've described for Samora, uh, but including these dramatic ruptures uh, of uh, the kind that uh, the Alta-Defensa uh, would I think, sacrifice. Well, <laughs> Great. <laughs> Thanks, for-